Shortly after posting that mini-sode, I actually realized that this is worthy of a proper full podcast. And I just want to clarify that Rachel Hollis in herself, like in and of itself, she isn't necessarily worthy of it. But she's a really fascinating case study on how like these Christian mommy bloggers rise to power. And I think why we should pay attention to the perceived power that they hold. Hey, what's up, guys? You're listening to Have You Heard About, a pop culture podcast that dismantles what you think you know about pop culture, going deep on what these stories mean to our cultural collective. I'm your host, Massa. We're welcoming guest host Rachel back to the show. In part one of two of the Rachel Hollis deep dive slash takedown, we explore her recent controversy, the aftermath, and why it makes for a fascinating case study on the rise of the powerful Christian mommy blogger. And we get super divisive on generally beloved fellow influencer Jillian Harris and how she found herself tangled up in all this Rachel Hollis drama. It's a good one. Stay tuned. Hey guys, welcome to Have You Heard About? I am your host, Massa, and I'm super excited as usual to welcome back a now three-time I think three times guest host, my good friend, Rachel. Rachel, this is your third time, yes? My third time. I feel like a seasoned pro and also like still jazzed to be here. Well, the first, our first episode together was Jessica Mulroney, where we took her down. The second episode was the college admission scandal, where we broke down the whole Ivy League system in the States and how corrupt that is. And today we are going to be taking down another figure. I guess maybe when I do these shows with you, maybe our MO is just takedowns. I don't know what yeah, it is. Yeah, like burn it to the ground. Whether that's a person or like an institution, we're, we're taking it down. I like that about you. That's right. Well, I like that about you as well. Maybe that's why we're friends. But today we're going to be talking about another Rachel, uh, Rachel Hollis, who I talked about on my mini so So our last episode, I think was like April 21st or something like that. So I do have to apologize to the listeners. It's been a minute since I put out a podcast. And that is because we were house hunting. Both Rachel and I live in Vancouver. If anyone knows anything about house hunting in Vancouver, it's really insane. And it's so we worst. found a house. It's the worst. We had to sell our house and now we're dealing with the getting ready for the move. And so I took a little bit longer of a break than I wanted to, but I am back now. And um, yeah, so I apologize for that, but hopefully this episode will be worth it. Before we jump into it though, I feel like I took a little break at the worst possible time because uh, like there was a mo- momentous event in pop culture history that happened that I would have liked to speak on. Do you know what that is, Rach? I mean, of course I do. It's like I was waiting for obsessions, but we can t- we need to talk about it. We got to talk about it. So just off the bat, we got to talk about it. Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez, who've been kind of, they, I guess they got back together or back whatever together. they're doing. They're back together after she and dumped A-Rod. Mm-hmm. They're, they're in love. love. Yeah, it's so nice. And there was like a Twitter thing going around today of the two of them sitting at, I don't know, lunch or something, like making out like teenagers. Like it it is like your first, like that to me is like puppy infatuation. Like you can't even look at anyone else kind of love. And I'm honestly so here for it. I don't know if I could take a breakup, a second breakup from them because I was pretty sad the first time. It's going to happen. I'm like, you have to mentally prepare yourself for it, but I'm trying to like live in the now, you know, just appreciate it while it comes. Today, they're making out at lunch. Tomorrow, you know, we have to appreciate what they give us. And I appreciate it a lot. 
It's true. I, I was talking to a girlfriend, actually a mutual girlfriend of ours, Patty. Hi, Patty. I feel like hey, Patty's Patty. going to be listening to this. Hey, Patty. Shout out. Uh, so I was. I think it was Patty that I, I hope it was Patty now that I was talking to is I was saying that uh, I think part of our fascination with them is because they have that energy of like your first love and no one really, I mean, they weren't each other's first loves. Like she was married like multiple times before, but it, that's the energy that they give off. And I think no, very few people, except for you, Rachel, very few people end up with like their first love, right? Uh, yeah. And also very few people like reconcile in this way. It's almost like a movie, like 20 years yeah. later, they've both been through some things and now they've kind of found their way back to each other. So I think collectively, and also collectively, the world is like cheering them on. And I do feel a little bad for Jennifer Garner right now because yeah. she does have three children with a guy. I feel like she's probably in annoyed by it yeah. because I would be like if my ex got I feel back bad together. But you know who I don't feel bad for? A-Rod. A-Rod. We don't, he's, A-Rod's, I don't feel bad for that guy. That guy's fine. I don't, yeah, same, man, same. So we're rooting for you, Ben and Jen. And if and when something happens in that relationship, you know that your girls will be here to like break it down. And okay, the other thing that I just have to very quickly mention because this came from the mini sode um, that I did last was the whole Chrissy Teigen thing. So last oh, we yeah. talked about it. Yep. Uh, Chrissy had quit Twitter and then for like a while and then came back onto Twitter and was like, I'm going to take the good with the bad. And literally, like within days, Days, she got taken down because people pulled up her old tweets where she basically was going after like Courtney Stodden, for example, who was a minor at the time. Um, she basically her parents like pimped her out to get married to this much older guy. Uh, very like sad situation. And she had publicly in her tweets had said something like, oh, I hope you take a dirt nap, kind of like wishing yeah. death upon like this young kid. And I mentioned also in the mini so she's had some other past problematic tweets. And so this this has now come back eventually to like get her. So she quit social media again, but today she did post some sort of an apology. I briefly read it. The apology was really, I hope you guys forgive me, you know, that validation that she seeks from the public. There was some good stuff in there. And I just thought like, who, why did your PR team not read this? Like, just send it to us. Like me and you could edit out, be like, yeah, totally. strike through, strike through, strike through. There was some really good, sincere apology in there. And also like, you don't need to tell us how you're trying to be a good mom. Like, yeah, we don't, you don't need validation from us. Yeah. yeah. I mean, people like I, like I have this tiny podcast and I get comments about like how I'm naive and how I suck and how I, and I like my personality is that I'm here for it. Like, yeah. Like, I love it. Like, bring you're it on. Well, I just feel like if you're going to reach out to tell me a thing, whether it's good or bad, like, obviously, it moved you enough to have the need to, like, tell me how you feel so strongly that I've been manipulated by Meghan Markle or that, <laughs> you know, whatever it is, you know, that your team, Jessica Mulroney or whatever hate I've gotten in the past from my, my previous podcast, that's fine with me. I'm here for it. I don't need validation. I Although listeners, I do also like to hear the good stuff. So, you know, if you're listening and you have something good to say, send like a note my way. Cause I know after this podcast, I'm going to get in some hot water as I often do for you are stepping in it. Like, and I don't even think, yeah, I'm not going to spoil it, but yeah, we're going to get into it and you, you guys will find out why. So, uh, like I said, we had, or I had chatted about Rachel Hollis on my mini um, where I had discussed a post on Instagram that she got a ton of backlash for that we're going to get into shortly. 
But like shortly after posting that mini-sode, I actually realized that this is worthy of a proper full podcast. And I just want to clarify that Rachel Hollis in herself, like in and of itself, she isn't necessarily worthy of it. But she's a really fascinating case study on how like these Christian mommy bloggers rise to power. And I think why we should pay attention to the perceived power that they hold. This is a subject that you and I have been talking about for years because they're so prevalent. There's so many of them out there. So we're going to delve a little bit into her rise to fame, her book, her book, Girl, Wash Your Face, which I read. You haven't read? No. Thank God for that. Yeah. You took one for the team. And I remember you texted me after you read it and you were like, it changed my life. I love it. (laughs) And I was like, oh no, do we need to stop being friends now? Like it's been a really good long 10, 15 years, but maybe this is the end, Massa. Yeah. I listened to it on Audible while I was going for walks with my baby. It was so brutal. And the worst part, like I really had to pay attention because this is a podcast show. So I kept having to stop to take notes on my phone as I was like listening to it. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that book as well and rehash it to Rachel and hopefully save you guys from ever having to pick that book up and read it. And to clarify, you were being sarcastic. You didn't like it. You texted me, you were like tricking me and I I didn't understand it in the beginning. Yeah, it was it was honestly painful. It was probably the worst thing I've ever read. And normally when I don't like reading something, I'm not the person type of person who has to finish a book. I will just stop and I'll put it down. And this is one that I like I never even would have gotten past the first couple of pages had it been not for this podcast. So um the lengths that I go to, to You're a goddamn hero. I, I yeah. truly am. Thank you so much for acknowledging. Um so we'll we'll break down sort of her social media faux pas of which she has many. And then me and you, I think we may or may not get into it because there is a subject that's like we've always been a little divisive on and that is another very popular mommy blogger Jillian Harris uh you're pro Jillian Harris I really don't like her and I do I feel like the people are coming for me because she's a really beloved person like Rachel Hollis has mostly been taken down and when we talk about this I think you'll find mostly but people love Jillian Harris. And for the record, like I have the Jilly box. I literally have a Jillian Harris bed in my bedroom behind me right now. Like I yeah. have the things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think it's fair to say that Rachel is team JH and I am not yeah. at all. I'm probably I'm like the opposite of that. But okay. So Rachel Hollis. So to recap, she is a Christian mommy lifestyle blogger. She's an entrepreneur, an author, a motivational speaker, very, very successful woman. Uh, she actually rose to prominence through a photo that she had posted of herself in a bikini, like post having a baby with all of her stretch marks and things saying like, Hey, look at me. I'm happy with my body because like I carried a child in it and I'm okay with the stretch marks and things, which is great. Great. Um, but that's how that's that photo went really viral. And that's kind of what put her on the map. Um, and she has been like, basically, since she's been on our radar, she always gets herself into like some sort of trouble. There's something yeah. that she does. And like one example of that is last year, she had tweeted something like still I rise. And which is like a very famous, like it's like Maya Angelou says that and she like didn't attribute it to anybody. So she got called out a ton by people until eventually she amended her tweet to include Maya Angelou's name at the bottom of it. So that's just like one example of her borrowing. She does this a lot and she actually does this throughout her book as well. And so she's not a stranger to navigating controversy, which in some ways was surprising to me about how poorly she had handled the aftermath of it. So 
to recap what had happened in the mini-sode, uh, I guess a lady, a fan had made a comment to her that she's not relatable because Rachel Hollis had said something like, yeah, lady, I have a cleaning lady that comes in like twice a week. And, and the lady's like, well, you're not relatable. I can't relate to that. And so she goes off and she posts this TikTok where she was essentially like, I have a lady that comes over and cleans my toilets twice a week. Lovely way of speaking about, about you know, the person that helps you tidy up your house. Um, and that's because I work super hard. Um, listen, sis, like I work harder than most people because I'm up at 4 a.m. And if I want to pay a cleaning lady to come and clean my toilets twice a week, then that's what I'm going to do. I'm not trying to be relatable. And in that TikTok, she had tagged like a whole bunch of actually impressive, really important women in history, many of them uh, women of color. Uh, there was like Oprah, Harriet Tubman, Malala, Frida Kahlo. But we're actually going to listen to a clip of Rachel Hollis's TikTok because I can't do it justice. So here's the clip. Okay. Yesterday I was doing a live stream and I mentioned that there's a sweet woman who comes to my house twice a week and cleans. She's my, my house cleaner. She cleans the toilets. Someone commented and said, you are privileged AF. And I was like, you're right. I'm super freaking privileged, but also I worked my ass off to have the money to have someone come twice a week and clean my toilets. And I told her that. And then she said, well, you're unrelatable. <gasps> what is it about me that made you think I want to be relatable? No, sis, literally everything I do in my life is to live a life that most people can't relate to. Most people won't work this hard. Most people won't get up at 4 a.m. Most people won't fail publicly again and again just to reach the top of the mountain. Literally every woman I admire in history was unrelatable. If my life is relatable to most people, I'm doing it wrong. Okay. And we're back. So there's a whole lot to unpack with that clip. A whole uh, lot. Like I watched it and had to like I've almost taken notes just for my own personal self to like really unpack how many problematic things she manages to say in that small clip. Yeah. And, you know, like I'm playing the clip for you, but I think it's also worth you guys can easily find this clip on YouTube. I'll link to it in the show notes to make it super duper easy for you. But it's worth doing that and, and actually watching it because she is like aggressive and wild eyed and like she's trying to be in your face and like she's trying to make you uncomfortable. So that was one of my takeaways from it. Did you find that as well? Yeah, that she really felt that she was right. And and mm -hmm. the fact that she left that video up even after all that really giant negative response for like four or five days. So she she wasn't like, ooh, I wonder how this will land. She was like, I got this. Like, I know oh, totally. what I'm saying. Yeah. She thought she was saying something really groundbreaking and profound by saying, yeah. I work very hard and therefore I don't need to be relatable because I have a woman come in and clean my toilets. Like in her world, that's something like she's putting out a nugget for us like peasants, you know, yeah. to like latch onto so that, mm -hmm, so that we could learn from her. And then her tagging all of those <laughs> incredible women. Like yeah. as though you could even be in the same breath as them. Like, and I'm not, not to take anything away from like whatever media empire that she's built or whatever it is, but very few people can be put in the same sentence as like Oprah, Harriet Tubman, RGB for Pete's sake. Come on. Like these are yeah. people that have like actually changed the world. So 
and like that just gives you, I think, an inflated sense of self. I think that shows you sort of how she views herself because she could have tagged anyone. She could have tagged other mommy bloggers in that or she, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, or just made a tag like work hard, stay motivated. And that's what she chose to do. And I think that was really uh, telling. But the, the piece that really, I think, irked me the most was that when she had said, well, one, the lady who comes and cleans my toilets twice a week, like, I think you're picking like the worst household job. And then you're saying yeah. oh, she comes and cleans them twice a week. Like there's much different ways of referring to someone that you hire to like come and help you like tidy up and maintain your home. Yeah. It was kind of gross the way that she referred to her that way. It was super demeaning. It was super, super condescending for a job that lots of people have. That is like a job that pays the bills for lots. It it doesn't make any sense. And it's, it um, takes a, a job and boils it down to its perhaps worst bit and then characterizes it with that bit intentionally yeah. from a place of power, right? If it was, uh, you know, person to person, that's not the situation. You know, Rachel Halls is in the position of power, demeaning of the course. person she hires. It's, it's very gross. Yeah, it's very gross and it's very telling on the type of person I think that Rachel Hollis is and why we're being critical of her today. Um, and the other the other piece that really stood out to me was that she works much harder than most. She works harder than most everyone. She's up at 4 a.m. I thought that was really interesting because it's like, how do you quantify who works hard? Like one, she makes a ton of money. Two, like she has a comfortable working environment. I'm not saying that she doesn't put in the hours or work hard or employ people, but it's a comfortable environment. She's well paid for it. She's not, you know, there's jobs that are far messier at, you know, they're super long hours or like they're illegal or, you know, you're being put in danger when you're doing these jobs uh, or they're like really stressful, like you're like a surgeon or, you know what I mean? Or like you're putting your yeah. life on the line, like we're just getting through COVID. How many frontline workers have been out there worried right. about going to work every day because they're actually you know, front and center around so many people. And I'm talking about, not talking just about just like people in the hospital, like grocery workers even, right? Like right. people like with those essential services. So to me, I was like, how do you quantify? Like, how can you say, "Yeah, I work harder than you? Like you, like Rachel, you work, like you go to job every day. I'm a stay-at-home mom. Although I don't consider myself to be a stay-at-home mom. I just consider, I just consider myself to be a stay-at-home I stay at home person. Yeah. I just, <laughs> I just stay at home. Um, but I like, it's hard to quantify like, Oh, you work harder or I work harder. It's just different. Yeah. Right. It's, it's not valuable. And the thing that made me them, that was the piece that also made me the most angry, but it was the direct line she draws between I work hard and that as a result, a direct result, I'm very successful. And the reason that you're not successful is because you didn't work as hard as me, which is, you know, false for every single reason. It ignores privilege. Uh, it ignores the fact that she's, she was, she married a Disney exec, right? So she started her company and she worked super hard and I don't want to take that away from her. Also, she married a Disney exec. So worst case scenario, her hard work landed her back in the same position she started with, with no risks. Um, the, the privilege that she faces when she works really hard are um, the kind of privilege that makes that kind of success just not accessible to most people actually. So that direct line to, I work harder, therefore I'm successful and that's why you're not, it's just incorrect and super insulting. Yeah. And I, I think her, like her, 
big takeaway from her book as well as her lectures at her Rise conference. The big thing is, if I, if I could say pinpoint one message that she puts out, is that you are responsible for your own happiness. No one else. So you are going to make yourself happy and you are going to make yourself unhappy. Okay. That is fine if you are a prototype like Rachel Hollis. If you are a person in that position that she's in in life, maybe, maybe, maybe that's a fair statement. I still don't think that it is, but that completely ignores all these outside factors that it ignores like socioeconomic status that ignores if you're a person of color that ignores like mental health things that ignores, let's say you're the caretaker of like elderly parents, for example, right? Like, or you're, you're a stay-at-home mom like me with like three kids, right? Like you can't, in some ways, maybe you can control some parts of your happiness, like I try to drink a lot of water or I try to like take some time to myself every now and then. But there's so many external facts, factors, way more than there are things that I can actually control in a day. That to me is like the worst advice. Like unless you are Rachel Hollis, someone like they're millionaires, like you said, and, and they're divorced now or they're they're going through a separation. I'm not sure if they're fully divorced, but her partner was was making eight figures at Disney. So I think for her to say, like, it's it's much yeah. easier for many people to be happy if they have like an eight figure income coming in, right? It it relieves the money doesn't buy happiness, but it certainly relieves a lot of stress. So the aftermath of her post was actually, I thought, just as poorly handled as the actual post itself. I think it was even worse. Like if it can yeah. get worse than that post, I thought her you know, people tell you who they are, believe them the first time, like she's telling us over and over and over again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, then we come to this term of like, I hear a lot of people who hate the term cancel culture. Yeah. And I just hate the term cancel. Like, like we're marketing people. So I just wish like, can we rebrand that? Like, I would like to propose that we stop calling it cancel culture and we just start calling it accountability culture. Like at what point can you make so many mistakes that are actually detrimental? Like she's not just hurting herself. She's she's kind of like spreading hate and she's spreading these messages that are actually dangerous. So at one point, do we look at people like that or someone like Chrissy Teigen, for example, and what she's gone through with social media and say like, okay, you need to take accountability. And it's not that you're being canceled forever and no one ever is canceled forever. Like people are still working with like Woody Allen and like Mel Gibson and people who've really done some Jessica like fucked up things. Just come on. Yeah. She's working. She's fine. Yeah. Do you only are canceled truly if you're a person of color or like some sort of visible minority or something that like if you're a person of power, you're just going to like somehow your powerful friends are like going to bail you out. Unfortunately for the rest of the world, this is the way that things seem to be right now. So I hate when people are like, it's cancel culture and it's not fair. It's not cancel culture. It's accountability. And I think that we need to like rephrase how we talk about these things because then you start getting into the semantics of like, if cancel culture is fair. And that's like besides the point, right? So yeah. she had then, when once she got called out for this TikTok post, she had posted an apology Uh, Sorry, it's like a non-apology. I'm actually not going to read either of her apologies. I have them. You guys can dig them up if you want. I'm not going to give them airtime. I don't think it's worth it. I'm going to sum it up as saying that in the first, she uh, threw her entire team that works for her under the bus. She had said something like, "Um, I wanted to address this head on. My team advised me not to. And, you know, I knew I shouldn't have listened to them, but I did. And I'm sorry. Oops. Sorry. Right. That was essentially the first one. There was a ton of dialogue in the comment section from that post, uh, including from uh, like 
black activists like Lovey yeah. Ayaji Jones, Lovey, right? I think Rachel Cargill was in there. Like a lot yeah. of really well-known, well-regarded activists. Yeah. And just trying to say their piece as well as like educate her, educate others. So then what happens is she gets like a ton of flack for this non-apology, ends up deleting it. And to me, like that's a dirty delete because she's also deleting the work of all these people yeah. that are now sitting at their computer trying to explain what was problematic about her post. So I think if you're going to mess up and then you're going to post some shitty apology, don't be a shitty person and take it down. Like own up to what you did. If you're going to leave it up, that's owning up to what you did. If you're going to take it down, it's not owning up to what you did. Yeah. Yeah. And that that apology was the uh, worst to me. Like A, blaming her team, which is what she did with the still I rise, you know, quote. She said, oh, it was my team who posted that. It wasn't me, but I should have taken like... She likes to do this fake, uh, well, you know, it wasn't me, but I'll still take responsibility. Like, well, you didn't. Like, what you That's just right. did there was not taking responsibility. Um, and it was a dirty delete, for sure. Yeah. You know what, guys? Like, I, I feel like if you're going to put something out into the world, maybe we should just, like, not ever delete it. Like, I don't, have you ever gone back and deleted something that you've done or said or posted? The only thing so on Facebook, so many things that you post on Facebook when you're younger, I, I deleted all my bikini pictures because I realized like oh, maybe yeah. some employer will one day look at my, and I just, they weren't embarrassing other than was like, I don't need bikini pictures of me on the internet. Yeah. So I deleted those. Like I belong to a ton of Facebook groups that are like my gossip groups and like my political groups and whatever. And there's a ton of um, discord in those groups because somebody will start a dialogue about something and it'll immediately escalate and turn negative. This is why I still am on Facebook, by the way, because these groups are just like so informative. I actually love them. And then the there's a ton of learning that happens within these threads. And then the original poster who has the power to do so backtracks and ends up deleting. So I think let's think twice, guys, before we decide to dirty delete. I just think we just shouldn't do that. Um, and so then there's a subsequent apology. Yes, she makes another yeah. apology regarding her first apology, which you know it isn't going well when you're apologizing for your apology, right? Yeah. It's pretty bad. It's, going <laughs> it's pretty bad. And the second apology was like better. I feel like it was crafted by a PR person. Again, yeah. I'm not going to read it out. I don't feel like I need to give her the airtime for that. Uh, it looked like a crafted PR apology. As far as apologies go, it was fine. But also you have to realize that this is Rachel Hollis's bread and butter. She's starting to lose followers and followers for her are money. So it's really hard to like that line between is she genuine or is she not being genuine? When it comes to like dollar signs, it's really hard to determine that, right? And I think just based on the the stuff that Rachel has done in the past, uh, we can kind of look at that or I personally will look at that and, and you too and say like, eh, you know what? This doesn't seem genuine to me. This seems like someone who got in some hot water for a post that probably she's still not actually sorry for, but she's going to say I'm sorry because the dollar signs, like it's it's her business and it's her yeah. livelihood. So, she lost, I was just checking right now to see how many followers she lost. She lost like at least 300,000 followers, which is uh, a lot. Substantial. Substantial. That's yeah. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. Uh, she ended up taking a social media break for like six weeks. Actually, it was you who had messaged me the other day saying, oh, she's posted something. She's back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I went onto her Instagram and it's like so hilarious because the thing that she posted was like a note or like she'd said that someone had said to her, like, don't give up. 
don't yeah. give up. Please don't give up. Or like the world needs you or some like bullshit. And she's like, I promise I'm not giving up. I'm just taking a minute. And I really feel like, I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel like that was like a manipulative and masterful way of almost like victimizing, victimizing herself, herself in this oh. whole thing. It's almost, I, I can almost respect how crafty that is to somehow yeah. twist around her clearly problematic behaviors, toxic positivity, overt and overt racism. Yeah. She's coming out like, don't worry, guys, I'm going to be okay. I'll be okay. Like, yeah, yeah. you will. Like, I don't care about you. <laughs> we we know that you're going to be just fine, Rachel Hollis, because like people like you, they always are. And she's, you know, she's doing like the standard, like six week break, just like yeah. how Chrissy Teigen took, Jessica Mulrooney took about the same amount of time where they just kind of go silent and then they come back and they post like a photo of a flower. I think in her case, it might have been like, like a dandelion Dandelion. Or I, think I can't dandelion. remember. Yeah. 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 So just, just watch out. I mean, I don't follow her and like, I'm never going to, I might peep into her page every now and then just because for the purposes of this podcast, I feel like I have to do that, but keep an, keep an eye on it. It's going to like snowball. It's going to be like that one post and then a subsequent one. And then it's going to be reframing this as like a learning thing. And then all of a sudden it's going to be like business as usual. So that's, that's kind of like the long version of what happened for why Rachel Hollis got burned and why she's still right now being held accountable again. Like we'll see if she's going to continue to be held accountable or not because she still does have a lot of followers and fans. How you and I started talking about this was because fan favorite, one of your favorites, mommy, blogger, entrepreneur, ex-bachelorette. She was one of the original bachelorettes, fellow Canadian. She lives in BC. She's up in like Kelowna or something. Jillian Harris posted Rachel Hollis's TikTok. Not to like call her out. She posted it because she saw it and it resonated with her. So she wanted to share it to her followers. She also has a lot of followers, like over a million. I want to say like 1.1, 1.2 or 1.3 million, I think right now. Yeah. Yeah. And so she had posted it being like, oh man, I struggle with this all the time because I want to be relatable to you guys. So I don't know how much of my life to share. And this got me thinking. And so I'm like, I'm like, holy, like she, because I already didn't really, I already wasn't a fan of hers. I don't want to say I didn't like her because I don't know her as a person. I'll say I wasn't a fan. Okay. So I'm like, man, how the rest of us are looking at this video and we immediately see the problems with it. Not only are you not seeing that, you're posting it and sharing it with your giant following because you can relate to it. And just sidebar, I also want to say regarding this relatability thing, dude, Jillian Harris, you are not like, we know you have money. Like if if, he, if these yeah. mommy bloggers in like their giant McMansions and like their you know pools and their really expensive like William Sonoma pots or whatever it is, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like we can tell when you have money. So that's not like you're not hiding that from anyone, and that's fine. Like that's great. Like you're successful, and that's amazing, and you should lean into that, and you should be you. But like I'm so surprised she was hung up on that because to me it's like obvious. Like. That she's not struggling. You know what I mean? I thought that was weird. I thought, it, well, obviously I hated the Rachel Hollis posts and I lie like Jillian Harris. So as soon as she posted it without like tear, it wasn't a call out. It was like, oh, I, this means something to me. I was like, what? This is ugh. like, you, 
because I, I, I like, I like following her. I like these things and had this like, ugh, do I need to stop following her? Is she a problematic person yeah. too? But on the topic of relatability, I could, if she had posted about that in a different way, I don't hate the idea of influencers. Like Rachel Hollis rose to fame for being relatable. So part of the reason she received the backlash for that post was that she's like, I'm not even trying to be relatable. And if I am, I'm doing it wrong. Well, why do you think you want to, people want you to be relatable? You build a brand on that. And same with Jillian Harris. So I can get the, um, the dissonance between I got famous for being relatable and now I'm really rich. That's not relatable. How do I continue to bring people with me on my journey where the thing that I could once rely on doesn't apply anymore? Like that's, I can see that being an interesting topic. That said, um, yeah, it's obvious they're rich. Like Jillian Harris lives in a giant rent out house. She just bought a farm. They also bought, like, it's very obvious she's very rich. So there might be a little lack of self-awareness there. <laughs> yeah. And also like be proud of it. Like you built yeah. it. She's, she's the, um, the breadwinner in that yeah. relationship. Right. So, which is great. And like, I think more power to you. I think where though we really divide on Jillian Harris is that I just think she's so problematic and, and you, and I have to say like, just for listeners, me and Rachel, we're similar in a lot of ways and different in some ways, but we generally tend to agree on many things, our point of view on many, many things is often the same. That's why you've been a podcast guest three times is because you're a person that like, you like the same things I do. We have similar point of views on things, right? Like it's, we're not often on the different sides of the bench where, but with Jillian Harris, my feeling with her is although she tries to do a lot of the work, so she, if you guys don't follow her, she often will like give her social media uh, profile over to, I don't know, some sort of a cause or some sort of a charity or a person of color or whatever it is. Some she Yeah. So she's given it to, she's done um, like past the mic, but she also does a lot of lives now where she'll bring on someone like she just did one with um, Monique Melton, Motivate. Um, she's she's an activist. She did one with her. She's done one with um, different political figures, most recently with Jagmeet Singh, um, who leads the, the NDP party in BC. Um, there's been a whole a lot of uh, women of color and other, you know, political figures or otherwise, including like the opposite side of the spectrum, like Sophie Trudeau um, mm-hmm. would be the other side of the spectrum. So she's not exclusively targeting that group, but she does have a really diverse set of, of individuals who advise her and who like join her on her lives. Yeah. So I'm going to give it to you that she does. That is a lot more than most people in that situation would do, right? Like Jillian Harris lives in Kelowna, which is like small town BC. It's like very Caucasian, um, probably like pretty Christian-ish, I would think. And it's like, you know, small town. So sometimes it's more conservative. Uh, And I think too, like she's definitely lost followers for her more liberal points of view, yet she will still put those views out there. Whereas I think a lot of followers, whether or not they have liberal or a lot of um, influencers, whether or not they have liberal points of view or not, uh, like they support BLM, whatever it is, they don't say it because they don't want to lose followers. Whereas Jillian Harris isn't shy to say it. Where I take issue with this is that she has so much access, man, to like this education and like these people that she brings onto her lives and she's still making mistakes like this. So to me, that means that like you don't have like a friend in your life to tell you 
like that Rachel Hollis has been a problematic person for a long time. I've had prior to doing this podcast, had never read her book. I knew very, very little about her, but the little that I did know when her Girl Wash Your Face book came out, I knew that she was a problem. Like I knew that this is like a book that's not worth reading. I knew that it targeted like white influential women. And I I knew like just, I just knew that like just from sort of like rumblings and chats with different people to me, like you can say everything that you want to say. You can kind of like talk the talk, but I'm not seeing that being reflected in her actual life. I feel like she has no one on her team to really like tell her how it is. And I think that's probably like one of the roots of the problem. So Jillian Harris had been getting called out. Um, people weren't saying like you're a racist, but she frequently got called out for the past two or three years from her fans saying, hey, why is your whole team white women? Why is your whole team white women? And she consistently defended herself saying, well, it's in Kelowna. It's only white people. We try so hard, but this is all we can do. We're doing our best. We yeah, just but that's, that's bullshit. kindness. It is bullshit. Yeah. I agree with you. But um, so that was how she kind of got called out. And when uh, George Floyd was murdered last year and every influencer really got called out and was like, well, I need to do something. That's that's the moment when she realized like, oh, yeah, all those people who've been criticizing me for years you were right and I wasn't listening. But so you but the reason I brought this up though is because does she have friends to advise her? She's got lots of friends. She's super popular. They are all privileged white ladies who live in Kelowna. So she didn't yeah. at that point have anyone to advise. Everyone agreed with her. Everyone probably felt the same way. Love and light and kindness and we're doing the right thing. Um so she didn't. I wouldn't defend that. See, to me, that's also just like white feminism, like patting yourselves on the back for kind of doing I I don't know if we should be applauding for kind of doing what I think is the bare minimum. Like, yes, you're doing this because you have a giant platform. If I had, like, I have a couple thousand people who listen to this podcast. If I had millions of people who, you know, or a million, like how she did, that I would feel enormous pressure to like share things that I thought were like really relevant in the world, right? Like she has, like, imagine if you had a million followers and you still we're posting the stuff that she does. And years ago, like I remember, she, this is not the first time that Jillian Harris has gotten into hot water from posting something and then being like, oops, I didn't know. The same thing happened with Ivanka Trump. A few years ago when her dad was president, she had made a comment. I think it was when Ivanka's clothes were pulled, her clothing line was pulled or dropped from like everyone. And she had made a comment, I think it was on Instagram Live, where she was like, oh, that sucks that her clothes are actually pretty good and it's not her fault. Her dad's an asshole or whatever it was. And yeah. then people like, attacked her. And then she came on and she was like, I didn't know guys. And a lot of it is like the, I didn't know, or like a big news story is happening. Like there's like a shooting or I don't know what, like there was the, um, snowstorm in Texas or just different things. And she always, it's always like a day later, she pops onto her phone and is like, I'm just looking at my phone right now. And I'm just seeing this. And this is my response to it. And I'm like, yeah. you do like 60 Instagram stories a day. <laughs> she does. You're going to tell me that you're just learning about the thing that the whole world has known about for like a day, like stuff like that to me rubs me the wrong way. Or even, you know, you meant you made a comment like she had purchased a farm and then I'm listening to her Instagram live and she's saying that they don't know what they're going to do with the farm. Like we purchased this farm. We don't know why, what are we going to do with it? And I feel like she tries to play like this country bumpkin who's kind of like dumb. Like she tries to play dumb a little bit. I think that's a big turn off for me because I think like you're obviously very smart. Like you've built an empire. You're obviously really savvy. You're obviously an excellent people manager. People love you. People want to be around you. People want to collaborate with you. And so why are you 
like one, belittling yourself and two, like, why are you always playing like the stupid and ignorant card? You have to stop talking about how you grew up in like, we're like somewhere in Alberta or Peace something River. she grew up. Yeah. Peace River, okay. Alberta. Yeah. Like, you know, like I, I moved here from Iran when I was five. Like I'm not still talking about how I, you know, whatever happened to me back then. Like, I think like we progress and we, you're, she's in her forties at some point, I think like, okay, I'm not saying she's a bad person. And I certainly think she's doing a lot more than a lot of her counterparts, but I guess because she's doing a lot more than her counterparts, I also expect her to genuinely be learning. And then when I see that she's put in a year of this work and then post the Rachel Hollis thing, I'm like, what the fuck have you learned? That's my perspective on it. We're going to agree to disagree. I think we are probably closer to agreeing that I think it comes down to because none of the things that you're describing are like, no, I disagree with you. That's incorrect. Like everything that you're saying is are things that I agree with. And it kind of comes down to how much do you have to agree with someone to follow them on Instagram? There's like a lot of people I've stopped following on Instagram because I find that I that my support of them would be actually doing a disservice that like my beliefs and your beliefs are diverging so far that if I yeah. support what you do, I feel like I'm losing a piece of myself. I can't follow yeah, you. So totally. I don't do that. Like that's maybe assigning more value than it is to an Instagram follow, but I try to like follow people whose values I agree with or I a hundred percent do or like, yeah. And if, if you're making money off of me because like, I'm, you know, going to your affiliate link yeah. or whatever, but you're not talking about, you're talking about like there was, there's one local Instagram follower. We've mentioned her before where she like posted like the Wayfair. It's Monica Hibbs. Okay. Oh, well, you're just naming it. There. Just naming yeah, it. Yeah. It's Monica Hibbs. Yeah. She had, so she had said very little about, actually she said nothing about BLM. And then yeah, she, she posted, posted like, like love and light, like a classic yeah. love and light and be kind, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And the Wayfair trafficking theory. Uh, where if you guys aren't familiar, yeah. like the web, the website Wayfair, which you know you buy home goods and things, there was like this whole. Uh, it was a conspiracy. It was totally false, but it was a crazy conspiracy yeah. about child trafficking in specific Wayfair products, which is false. Like it didn't happen. It did not happen, and so she had been like propagating that. And so I, at the time followed her and I sent her an article being like, you should read this article because this is totally false and you have all these followers and you're like spreading this. And she was like, yes, I'll look into that. And then I I don't think that she ever did acknowledge that she was wrong or that she shouldn't have posted that. And the problem is like many people follow her, many people are fans and they, a lot of people just don't have the time or like they don't have the resources or like they don't want to look into things more themselves. I feel like I'm an article reader. I like sit there and I read articles. Like that's all I do all day long. I'm a stay at home article reader. Like that's literally what I do. Yeah. Like I have children, but it's really the articles that I like read all day long. (laughs) Uh, So I like to educate myself about stuff, but a lot of people are taking the word of other people that they trust. And like, if you told me something, I wouldn't fact check that because I'd be like, okay, it's coming from someone that I trust. Right. Right. Yeah. And these are figures that people trust. And so that's why I think yep. that we need to hold them to a higher standard. And with Jillian Harris, I struggle because this, again, like Rachel Hollis, this is her bread and her butter. And I do wonder how do you determine how much of this is really genuine and how much of it is because she, this is her business. And so her business depends on us liking her and like respecting her, right? So I struggle with that personally. So here's, let me make the case for Jillian Harris then now. Yes. Uh, because I think all the facts have been presented. She's had some problematic past. She's had some kind of a learning and awakening, but also continues to still sometimes do problematic things and isn't able to identify 
you know, when a Rachel Hollis video is so problematic, it feels super obvious to us and to most people and she still doesn't recognize it. So she's obviously not all the way like there's no end state, I guess she's, there's no end state, but she's, she's not as far along in her journey of learning as maybe she wants right. to be. But my case for Jillian Harris is that she definitely isn't there. We agree on that. Is she doing the things that I would hope a person in a position of public authority, she, I don't know if authority, but she's got like, she's like a public figure. Is she doing the things that like, I would hope someone in that position would do? So to me, the answer is yes, because she does, she has diversified her team. She does have uh, a new HR group who's led by a woman of color to help her hire the right kind of people. She does invite dissenting viewpoints um, into her platform, including viewpoints. Like actually, I've discovered a lot of my favorite Indigenous uh, influencers because of Jillian Harris, because of her platform. And so I don't want to defend her being like a person who deserves a cookie, right? She's not an activist. She's not doing it perfectly. She's super reactive. Sometimes I wish I could just say to her, like, stop. You don't actually have to comment on everything. You can just be an influencer and pick your causes and diversify your team and do all of those things. You don't need to comment on everything. That's an excellent point because I find her exhausting to follow. Yeah. I think she is exhausted. Yeah. She doesn't. She comments on everything and it comes off wrong. And most of the time, she doesn't need to. It's just not in her wheelhouse. There was a, a big drama with a, a Bachelor alum, Tamoka, And so she commented on that. That felt natural because she was on The Bachelor. Probably that's the thing you comment on. You don't need to comment on Israel-Palestine. Like nobody's looking to Jillian Harris to solve Israel-Palestine. That's Just leave that. Don't comment on that. Um, so I don't want to give her a cookie, but I also don't feel bad following her. Like I think she is doing the work. She's not there yet. But she's doing the things I would hope a person would do. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, okay, so I'll say this. I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm not going to follow her still. But in her journey of learning, I hope that she's actually doing the work inside where we don't see mistakes like this Rachel Hollis thing, like this Ivanka thing. Because I do think that these are dangerous mistakes you're now exposing. Like a lot of your followers to like a Rachel Hollis now, right? Like people like Rachel Hollis, I feel like in a lot of ways she does more harm than good. Her message is inherently dangerous. And it is very similar to the message of a lot of these other like Christian mommy blogger types. Um, And they're, I don't like, I struggle with this because I think it's amazing when women are able to like create these empires and these businesses and they become the breadwinners of their families because of, you know, they have this amazing Instagram following and they've built a business around it. Where I take issue though is when a lot of it is, it's like curated content for women like them and only for people like them. And it feels very small and very, very narrow minded. And then you start to realize, like, I wish somebody would do some sort of a, what is that called in school where you do like a connecting thing? Like it's like a bubble and then a line and then another bubble. Like you see them in murder mysteries where they're trying to, they have a big board and they're connecting things with strings. I feel like if you had a big board and people's names, like the Monica Hibbs and the Jillian Harris's and like the Rach Parcells and the the Rachel Hollis's of the world, if you had a big board, all these people, like you can connect these strings and you start to realize they're all shilling either the same products or products that like look exactly the same and different variations of them. Their houses are all kind of the same. And, um, and I think 
that's problematic, man. Cause you're, I, I just feel like you're silencing other voices because you're taking up like this big amount of space and it's so cookie cutter and it all becomes sort of like the sameness. So I did read Girl Wash Your Face. It was like a hate read. Like I hated reading it, but it was almost like it was so terrible that I was almost like, yes, like I'm going to, what crazy <laughs> batshit thing is this chick going to say now? And when you so, told me this, like let's this podcast topic, I was like, I want to talk about this. I cannot buy yeah. that book. I can't do it. Like you, I can't spend money on it and I won't. And so kudos to you. You did. Um, I did it, man. I did it. And I, and I think, you know, to understand Rachel Hollis's power and to understand the the perceived power of people like her, like also like the Jessica Mulroney's of the world, I think that we need to like sort of take a step back and like look at sort of like where she came from and her rise to prominence so we can do that now. Thanks for listening to part one of two of our Rachel Hollis deep dive slash takedown. Let us know what you think by following us on Instagram at Have You Heard Podcast and dropping us a DM. We love hearing from our listeners, whether you agree or disagree. Be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast and rate and review while you're at it. Check in next week for part two, where we delve into the cringe fest that is Girl Wash Your Face, Rachel's rise to fame, and our theory on why she's become the aspirational figure for a certain MLM subset. Don't miss it.